Let's pray. Jesus Christ, our living hope and our very life. It's so good, Lord, to be uh, in, in your house and having come in with where we were before, Lord, and it feels like we're in a much different place now, Lord, as we've reflected on your, your sacrifice, the sacrifice of your flesh on the cross. And it's so good, Lord, to be able to sing and declare your praises and to, to know that our hearts are cleansed by your blood and to know that we can approach you, Lord, all the way in, Lord, to your throne room, and that you welcome us in. Lord, what a blessed place to be. Lord, now as we open up your word, as we look into what you've written for us, Lord, recorded for us, I pray that it would help us to, to enter in further, Lord, to expand our, our understanding and to strengthen our hearts and to encourage us. So Lord, I thank you for those that have come here this morning and those that are watching online, joining us, Lord, as we move together towards you. I pray that you would be with us, Lord, that your spirit would be, have access, God, to open our hearts, our minds, to see, to understand, Lord, we give you our attention this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff, and I am happy to be sharing with you uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 specifically is one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible. And uh, so I'm excited to be able to just study and to ponder and to uh, walk through this passage with you. And uh, we're in a series called Renovation, right? In fact, last week, Pastor Kurt laid out the idea of going through a renovation project in your house, right? And he talked about where are you in the process of, of renovation. And uh, so we got into 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he's in fact already um, began to dive into what Paul is doing in this chapter. And he's trying to... Uh, draw some contrast between the new covenant, which he serves, and the old covenant. In fact, we've already covered two of the, the main differences uh, between the two co covenants. But you're going to want to open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, so that you can follow along and so that you can um, make sure that I'm telling you the truth. All right, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I've given two titles for this sermon because I couldn't decide. One is, transformed into his likeness, uh, which is much like the word renovation. Transformed and renovation, these things go together. So we're in verses, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, the, the, that screen's actually wrong. 2 Corinthians 3, and we're starting at verse 12 today, but that's my fault. There we go. So, verse 12, but the other name I gave this sermon was to live unveiled. Because there's this part right here in the beginning, and it's talking about this veil, this theme of the veil keeps coming up. 
and it actually starts getting confusing because who's wearing the veil and what does the veil do and is this the Old Testament veil or a, or a veil we're experiencing now and uh, so but how do we live an unveiled life because really Paul is giving a defense of his ministry that's the big picture thing that's going on but within that we have these beautiful passages that are just so uh, beautiful, uh, powerful, that uh, we get to really capture a vision for, for what God's grand purpose is. We're going to talk about that some more. Our passage starts off in verse 12, and it says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. And so you'll see that I've, I've cut, tried to capture a few like, key words out of uh, the several sections that we're going to look at. And the first one is boldness. How do we live unveiled? Well, Paul says, having such a hope, we use great boldness. But it starts with a therefore. So you really had to be here last week if you want to know what the therefore is there for, right? So he's, he's unpacking the differences between the Old Testament covenant and the new one. One of the big differences is that one of them is fading. It's temporary in its nature. The other one is that the old covenant brought condemnation and death, not life. But in chapter 3, verse 12, we read, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. We're not like Moses. Talk about a contrast. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And that's where we're going to stop. All right, so the new covenant and serving in the new covenant and Paul's ministry, it's not like Moses. Because when you read the old covenant and you focus on the old covenant, there's like, there's like this veil. There's this veil that hides it. And so we, we have Moses, right? We learned last week Moses, he literally wore a veil, right? He was up one of the first times. Well, he would do it when he was either at the tent of meeting, and he did it when he was up on Mount Sinai. And as he came down from Mount Sinai, he began to deliver God's words to them, and his face his skin was shining. His skin was radiating. This was like a, this was like, it's not just a, a mere reflection, like something was immediately bouncing off his skin. It's like he had God's presence so bright in front of him that it left this, this it activated this, his skin, so that it was radiating back, radiating off of it, that very glory that he experienced. But when he began to go down and, and he started talking to people, he's like, 
what's wrong? Why, why are you guys looking at me like that? You know what I mean? And, and eventually they were like terrified, and they ex- had to explain to him probably, your face is, is glowing, Moses. And they didn't want it. They couldn't handle it. And so he was willing to wear a veil. But then there's this veil that Paul brings up, and it's like that. It's like that veil. There's also, well, okay, see, there's so many things. All right. So, we're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare. So literally, they wouldn't fix their eyes so that they wouldn't be fixated by what was happening on his face, this glory that was slowly fading away. Their minds were closed, verse 14. And then it says, even to this day. So for, for this day, so that was back then, for this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted. So someone's opening the Old Testament, and they're trying to, what? They're trying to find God. They're trying to see God. They're trying to know God. And they're reading the Old Covenant, and it's saying that there's a veil. There, there's this system in the Old Testament that's clearly described, and yet it's, it's hiding something. Something in there is, is not full. Right? All right. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. It's their hearts that can't seem to perceive. Okay. I want to ask you this quick question before we move on. There's there's a lot to cover, and we're talking about Paul's boldness here. And I'm wondering, should the glory of the new covenant give us confidence to be bold just like it does Paul? Because he said, I have this confidence because of the glory of the new covenant. Now, the glory of the old covenant, the old covenant was glorious. Kurt talked about it last week. In fact, it was a terrifying glory. It was a consuming glory. It spoke of God's holiness. It spoke of God's otherness and his unapproachableness in a way. And, but there was indeed a glory. It was a glory that was like, it was like fire. To them, it was like a fire. A light. And even when it reflected off of Moses, they were afraid of it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. What we have here is No, no, we're not verse 17. We're still at verse number 16. The veil is lying over their hearts, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil is removed, and that's like when Jesus, he had, when the veil was torn. Do you remember the veil being torn? So he had this other veil in the tabernacle, uh, that, or the temple, and, and these people would, would 
do their priestly duty, and they were the only ones that could get into the holy place if they had the specific sacrifice, if they offered the specific perfect lamb on the altar. And they could only go in once a year to this place. But this veil was torn, and in the Lord we have access in through the veil. The veil is removed. So you have this other temple veil imagery, but when we come to Jesus, it talks about the veil being removed so that we can get what they were trying so hard to get. And what is it that they wanted? Now, we're at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. What the Old Testament did not give them was the freedom that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. The new covenant is the new covenant of the Spirit. If you look back at the promises of what the new covenant was going to bring, it was like, I'm going to give them a new spirit. And the Spirit is what the new covenant brings. And the Lord brings the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to live. Freedom to know. Freedom to have access. And to know that you are right with God and walking in Him. All right. So, we have boldness and we have freedom. And we get to verse 18 and it says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, this is a, this is a really cool verse, and there's a lot of layers to it. One thing he does is he's following Paul's argument. Hey, I'm not like Moses. I'm not going to be wearing a veil. Because I know the glory of the new covenant. And I know that the new covenant comes with the spirit. And there is freedom unlike you've ever known before in the old covenant. So I'm coming with boldness and I'm coming with freedom. But now listen to this. We all. Do you see that? The we all. He's, he's not just talking about him anymore. He's saying, this is about you. We all, with unveiled faces, all of our faces being unveiled, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. So, we're looking as in a mirror. So all of us have the opportunity for this Holy Spirit, freedom, new covenant, for that veil in our hearts that was keeping us from the Lord removed. So that you can think of the temple so that you can like peek in behind the veil. But except he ripped it to shreds, right? He like tore it in two so that you can peer in and that you can behold 
And it talks about looking as in a mirror or contemplating or, or reflecting upon. And it's talking about the gospel. The gospel that Paul serves is a gospel where Jesus Christ is the image of God. And you're looking in as at, at the image, the mirror that you're seeing, the, the, what, you're, what you're looking at is you're beholding, as you're looking at Christ, you're receiving the, the image of the glory of God. And to somebody that already doesn't know Jesus and doesn't know the Lord, this is earth-shattering. We're going to talk more about it, I promise. But the Holy Spirit is the one who removes that veil. The veil was opened, the way opened up for us so that we can behold and commune with God. On the throne. It reminds me of Hebrews. It talks about, therefore, let us approach the throne of confidence. It talks about having our hearts sprinkled to, keep, to cleanse us so that we could enter in. He desires us to draw near to him, to taste, and to see what is this beholding that it's talking about. The type of beholding that it's talking about is one where you are looking into, you are gazing upon, or Hebrew says, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, the throne of the Father in heaven, right? Fix your eyes. Behold. But, but I can't see. Like, I can't see through my eyes the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so this is spiritual beholding. This is a spiritual work. It talks about the Lord is the Spirit. It even says that the work that happens here at the end of our verse 18, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I have a question. How does something that is glorious become more glorious? Can something that's glorious become more glorious? What do you think? I don't know, maybe. I mean, if it was, if it was already glorious, can it get more glorious? I want to read this passage in a couple of different versions. Look at uh, this next one. I think it's the NIV. It's on, on the screen. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So there's a word that has to, what they use instead of re looking as in a mirror, like this is contemplating the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We're talking about transformation here. Transformation is when you were one thing and you begin to become another thing. Right? And this is talking about transformation into the same image from glory to glory. And this says 
transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the next one, I think this is ESV, and it says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another, as you are beholding Jesus, and as you are allowing the Spirit to work in you that freedom that he came to give you. I'm wondering this. If glory can get more glorious, can the sun get brighter than it is? Who says, who says yes? Who says no? The sun is the sun. It's not going to get brighter. Okay. Ooh, Matt says, what if you got closer to the sun? Would it get brighter? Okay. So then maybe the question is, in our experience, can the sun get brighter? Hmm. Well, we know this. Remember that one building they built in New York, and it's like they built the whole building, and they sided the whole thing with basically mirrors, and as the sun went by during the day, it was like so intense that the mirrors all shone down upon this like one little like strip along the block, and it was so hot. It was like 140 degrees in that one little stretch because the sun was focused, right, by the mirror. So it definitely increased the intensity of the sun's light, right, and the effect that it had. Okay, so there's like, yeah, I've been thinking about the clouds, and I want you to follow me with this, and uh, you guys are going to be the scientists here, because I'm not, but I'm wondering, can the, the clouds make the sun brighter? Who says yes? Who says no? Clouds making the sun brighter? And raise your hand if you, I don't know, because that was the rest of you. Oh, you guys just don't want to raise your hands. I get it. See, that was a test. I see where you're at. All right. Not willing to, uh, not willing to put your, uh, your vote on the line there. So I was thinking about this. Doesn't it sometimes in your experience feel like you walk out and there's not a cloud in the sky, right? And it's just a clear day, you know, and everything's, everything's like bright. And you're like, wow. It's pretty bright. But aren't there other days where you go out and it's cloudy? And you're like, where's the sun? But there's some days you go out, and it's cloudy, and you're like, why is it so bright? What do you think? Anybody? This isn't from the Bible. This is like speculation. What I'm trying to do is to see if there's anything correlating with the way that our glory, God's glory, can be uh, more and more glorious in anything in, in nature. And but I was thinking about these, there's sometimes, and I actually read it, you can search it right now if you want, and I don't do it, but it, can the clouds make the sun brighter? And like, it says yes, and it has to do with there's vapor in the atmosphere or not. And the vapor in the atmosphere, just like a little diamond, if you shine a flashlight through it, and it, it refracts all that light, it diffuses all that light. And so there's a bunch of like science uh, b like done behind this, and the idea uh, is, well, yeah, the, the particular angle at which the light hits it and it's diffused, if that light depends on how much, it depends on how much all those, the water vapor in the atmosphere is, or whatever it's 
glancing off of is able to spread, to diffuse the light, to spread it out. And so let me just think, like, for a second, let's just say you went along with the idea that sometimes the clouds, and, and you've seen it, you walk outside and you see the sun shining through the clouds, right? And it's like, and it's just like everything seems so lit up. Maybe that's why people like to take uh, photography with, uh, during the clouds. Okay, I'm getting off track. Um, but what makes sometimes it be more light and sometimes it just cause a big shadow on a big cloudy day? Wouldn't you say it has to do with the clouds? It has to do with how thick they are, Right? It has to do with how much the clouds are getting in the way of the sun's light. Or is, are the clouds actually able to just diffuse and refract that light? So let me ask you this. What are the clouds? What are the veils that we wear to keep the glory of God from shining through? What are the veils you wear that are keeping God's glory from being able to radiate out of your life? What in your life, what are your, yes, there's all, there, it could be the same thing for many of us, it probably is, things overlap, but there could be a variety of things. But it says that what he's doing, that his spirit is doing, that his whole intention is, was to open the veil, to, to allow us to get in there and behold, and to see that when you're beholding Jesus, you're beholding God and all that he is. And that as you partake in the beholding, as you partake in the receiving of who he is, that you will be transformed and become more and more like the very image that you are taking in. And as you are being transformed, that this glory is compounding in your life and you are displaying, you're diffusing, you're refracting this glory. Or you could just soak it all in and soak it all up and you could veil and cover up what you know about who you know. The veil of our own self-sufficiency and our pride or flat out rejecting Jesus' message and his heart. But you can live with unveiled faces reflecting on and reflecting out the glory of God. Can you believe that we get to share in the array of God's glory? I want to tell you about my friends. You guys want to know about my friends? I got two friends. One of them I've actually never met. I just read his books. But he said, he's a, he's a, he's a passionate follower of Jesus. And in college, he was learning about the Westminster Catechism. And there's this question, what is the chief end of man? Who can tell me what's the chief end of man according to the Westminster Catechism? Huh? The chief end of man 
is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this friend of mine, he was captured by that statement, and it began in him a, a, a lifelong quest to understand what it meant to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And he has this statement that I want to suggest to you. I think he's onto something. He said that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. When we're thirsty and hungry and we're chasing other things, we are not satisfied in him. And therefore, our clouds, we're wearing the veil. His glory is not busting through your life. But when you are satisfied, when you're delight, so what kind of beholding am I talking about? The kind that delights in the Lord, that knows Jesus as a friend, that walks with the Spirit and in the Spirit, the spiritual life. The beholding, okay, so he said that God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. I have another friend, and he's got ideas about God, but he cannot get himself to be on the same page with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and he wants to get to God. He still has a desire to know. He has, and he's, he's, he's built all these ideas about what, who, God, who God is and what, he, what he's like. And, and he, he, he pulls and puts all these pieces together. And, and he's like, Jesus is, Jesus, I mean, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for, for, for Jesus. But Jesus is, is he, he's, he's only like a, a, a way to, to get to God. He's, he's like one of the ways to get to God because God is kind of like, all of, all of these roads are trying to get to God. And, and so he's, he's, he, he sees Jesus and he just kind of sets him aside. He's like, yeah, that's good. But I'm trying to get to the real thing. I'm trying to get to the thing. I'm trying to get all the way in to the essence, to the heart of God. And he tries to set Jesus aside. And he tries to set the Holy Spirit aside. But he always says this at the end of our conversation as he pontificates. At the end of it, he says, but I can't figure out what to do with myself. I can't get, even if I can understand God and his essence and his, his wholeness, I can't seem to get myself lined up because he's aware of his sin. He's aware of his limitations. He's aware of the very thing that in the Old Testament which was great because it pointed to Jesus, but the Old Testament was weak in this in that it was weakened by the flesh. It was the very fact that flesh couldn't measure up, that it never gave you the satisfaction. You never felt free to live out and be in step with the Lord, free to live, free to live unveiled. How is it, how can this be that we get to participate in the display of his glory by being satisfied in the Lord, by continuing to behold him and to align your life with him so that your life isn't veiled or is it in the clouds 
but able to radiate good stuff. Making Jesus known. And this is the whole point. Glory. So this, is, this word right here, glorious. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Right here at the end, it says, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a heart thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. All right, so let's keep moving. So making Jesus known by unveiling our faces, being bold, living by the power of the Spirit that brings freedom, being transformed to put on the display of, God, of the glory of God. Now we move into chapter 4, where Paul describes not giving up. Paul describes not giving up. I thought of the word endurance, okay? So we can put that word up there. Paul's trying to articulate to the church in Corinth what is motivating his ministry toward them. Endurance. Therefore, verse 1, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful, secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. And I just want to ask the question again, in what ways are you putting back on a veil in your life and in your interactions with people? I want to get to verses 3 and 6, 3 through 6. And the key word that I thought of is activated. Because uh, I studied phosphor, uh, a phosphor. Uh, what's a phosphor for? A phosphor is for lighting fire. A phosphor is something that can not just reflect light, but it actually has qualities about it that, allow, that, that within it, when it is activated, that it will continue to reflect and shine light for a, a period of time. And they use this for all sorts of things in our, in, in our day. You know what I mean? Uh, so a phosphor is one of those things that's a lot like Moses' skin when he went in and the glory of God activated his face, activated his skin. It wasn't just a mirror. It activated something. So there was this lingering glow of the radiance of God's glory. So, verse 3, but if our gospel is veiled, so Paul said, okay, you guys, Corinthians, the leaders there, you say, Paul's message is not real clear or whatever, it's veiled. He, Paul's like addressing them, he says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded. Veiled. The minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We're not proclaiming ourselves. You go and engage your neighbor in the love of Christ. You're not trying to make much of yourself. Or you share the gospel. You're not trying to share the gospel because you have some sort of upper hand or you're better than. We're not proclaiming ourselves, but we're proclaiming Christ as Lord. 
and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. And this is the verse. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, indeed, it's true that if they, unbelievers, could see the glory of God when they look at Jesus, they too would fall on their face before them and say, woe is me. They've got to be willing to come to the Lord. But ultimately, this is the Holy Spirit's work. So if the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, like, think about that. The God of this age, like, that is his big, that's his big gambit. If the God of this age, if Satan can get you to think any less of Jesus than he really is, he's playing his game. He's playing his game. And we lose, and they lose. If, if they can get you to, when you think of Jesus Christ, and, they, and he can get you to say, okay, Jesus, nice guy. A lot to learn from him. I appreciate it. I'm trying to get to God, though. If we, if we don't see God in the face of Jesus Christ, then we're still blinded. But when God turns that light on, God's the one that turns the light on when he said, let there be light. And we're just grateful that we're ones that he's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But what is the antidote? If the God of this age has blinded the minds of believers, what can we do to help them know Christ? What's the antidote? The antidote is don't veil your faces. Let the glory radiate. We, like Paul, are carrying a gospel. We, like Moses, are going in to behold, but we don't come out and cover it up. We keep our faces unveiled. We don't distort and we don't hide. How is this neighborhood going to be one for Jesus Christ? Is it going to be by hiding? It's not. Is it going to be by fitting in? No. But guys, that last part of that verse where it describes seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it's like to behold to, to enter into. You guys can. You've been there before. We need to get there more often. To encounter a loving God. So gracious. So full of truth. Who knows you. Who knows me. Who loves you so much that he would suffer greatly. And then endure with such great patience as you walk through and stumble through this life to, to have such patience towards you. To, simple, to simply know us and to let us know him. 
so that I would know, just so that I would know that I am truly loved. That's what we want. That's what we want. I want to live in that grace, don't you? Knowing that you're truly loved, you're truly seen, and you were redeemed, and that he has life for you, freedom. Freedom from everything that's holding you back. I want to bask in that glory, do you? I want to stay still, and I want to soak in the the beauty of that moment before the Lord. And I'm okay. I'm okay if it changes me. I'm okay if, that when, if when I open my eyes, God has left a glow in my heart. That he's left behind traces of his gentleness and, and his compassion in a brash and a harsh world. I'm okay if he stripped away some of my fears and some of the prejudgments that I make about people and I instead consider how God loves them and how Jesus is moving towards them, how Jesus is reaching out to them. I'm okay if he leaves a little glow. And how could he not? He's the very glory of God and he has given us freedom to live He's given us his spirit to keep us glowing, to live unveiled. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words here, Lord. I ask that you would help us to, to live them. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for his testimony, even his defending uh, his, his ministry because it helped him to have to articulate just the, the glory related to what you did in the new covenant, Lord, and, and what it looks like to be your children and to live with unveiled faces. Lord, I, I thank you for the glory, Lord, that you are, uh, the glory that you are producing, that you are displaying uh, through this congregation, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we could line ourselves up with you, that you would be able to glorify yourself, Lord, in this church and through this church in this community. I pray for this neighborhood, the neighborhoods that live around each one of us, that you would impact them, that they would, that they would be curious, Lord, about you about why we're glowing. And I pray that we would be able to tell them boldly about you and what you've done on the cross. Heavenly Father, we give this time to you. We give you our hearts and our attention. Amen.